Welcome to the Hydric and Struggles Leadership Podcast. Hydric is the premier global provider of senior level executive search and leadership consulting services. Diversity and inclusion, leading through tumultuous times, and building thriving teams and organizations are among the core issues we talk with leaders about every day, including in our podcasts. Thank you for joining the conversation. Welcome to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. In the first of a series of conversations we'll be conducting this year, focused on the intersection of healthcare and legal leadership. We'll be interviewing general counsel and chief legal officers at top healthcare services and life sciences companies, exploring trends in the space and hearing their thoughts on the talent and leadership needed to be successful. I'm David Bird, a partner in Hydrogen Struggles GC office and a member of the Legal Risk Compliance and Government Affairs practice. I work cross-sector, but spend a good deal of my time in healthcare. In today's podcast, I'm thrilled to be joined by Earl Barnes, Corporate Vice President and General Counsel for Centara Healthcare. Centara is a large, integrated, non-for-profit healthcare delivery system and named to IBM Watson Health's top 15 health systems in 2021. Earl's had a distinguished career, including serving at senior levels at multiple organizations in-house for over two decades. Following his time in private practice, before joining Centara, he served as Executive Vice President and Chief Legal Officer for Chicago-based Amita Health. In addition, he has held general counsel and other senior legal roles at a number of other complex healthcare services organizations across the country, including Advocate Healthcare, Ohio Health, and Northwestern Medicine. Earl, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure, David. Wonderful being here with you. I'd love to start off by talking a bit about the industry and how you see it as a legal leader. As a general counsel at a significant healthcare system, what are the issues that keep you up at night that are top of mind? And how would you say that to the talent needs and the capability of people kind of play into them? Well, in terms of answering that question, I sleep well at night, which is a good thing. When I finally drop off, I (laughs) definitely get a good night's sleep. But, you know, there are some things that do trouble me just generally, and certainly some challenges that we're facing here at Centera. Talent happens to be one of them. And in finding the right talent for the legal department has been a big, big issue for me since joining the organization last June. And we spent a lot of time, quite frankly, looking for the right fit for the organization in finding individuals that are willing to relocate. So we're kind of being hit from a number of different sides. I think that the technology piece, you know, not so much, although I moved into a department that quite frankly needed quite a bit of work just in terms of upgrading how we go about conducting business day in and day out. And the organization has grown tremendously really over the last five years. And so I think the legal department's a bit behind in terms of the technology that we're using, but we are working mightily to catch up. And I certainly hope that if we were to have this conversation a year from now, we should be in pretty good shape at that point. But really the uh, talent piece, identifying good talent, folks that have what I call the general healthcare training, but then also have an area of strong expertise, we have struggled a bit to find individuals. You know, one of the issues you mentioned tangentially just now is just as you grow and expand. And so I want to just build on that for a minute. You know, we see a couple of trends there. I think both sort of consolidation and M&A generally in the space, but also just more systems having kind of large provider, but also large payer components, something I know is the case in Centara. What do you think is driving all that? And, and how does that sort of play into, as you think about the talent challenges you just mentioned? I think a lot of healthcare systems are very focused on diversification. I mean, I think that many have realized that the ups and downs of the industry, unless you found a way to have some diversity in your overall business, 
those ups and downs are almost unbearable in terms of how they impact your ability year in and year out to provide services to your communities. And so I think some of what you're seeing in terms of the amount of consolidation that's going on in the market, it's across state lines in many cases now, and it is an attempt to have a bit of a diversified payer base. And then I think that when you start to look at systems that have also set up their own health plans, and quite frankly, having your own health plan once you reach a certain scale, you truly do have some true opportunities to use that as a basis for moving into new markets and moving in at a relatively capital light scenario. So I think you're seeing some of that occur as well. As we've talked about over the years, I mean, we have all these new market entrants. And so, you know, you're dealing with the Walgreens of the world, CVSs of the world, the Optums of the world, and they're creating a competition that didn't exist before. And so I think as health systems are thinking about what do they need to look like over the next several years and certainly over the next decade, they're having to take into account these new competitors that have come into the market in very, very big ways. So they're not just inching their way into the market. I mean, they've come in very strong and have provided some real live competition for many of us working in the more traditional healthcare systems. So just in that context, when you think about the comment you made about talent prior around sort of the folks with general healthcare expertise, how does that play in terms of how you serve that diversified portfolio, not just the traditional delivery, but also the payer space and how you think about sort of finding people who can be agile and be thoughtful and be strategic around sort of like addressing some of those new competitive threats that just hadn't been there 10, 20 years ago? Well, in some cases, you try and hire individuals that are working at your competitors because I think they'll have a good sense of that component and of that operation. But it's, you know, I will tell you, I mean, we're, we're all competing for talent. And I think in the end, that really is the issue is that you've got new entrants into the market. They're certainly out looking for talent. You have your law firms that have been in the market, obviously, for years and years and years, and you're competing with them for talent. And you have other healthcare systems that are out there and you're competing for that talent. And everyone kind of approaches this business, I think, and quite frankly, has approached this business differently over the years. And, you know, I think that we've certainly seen a little bit of change and shift in terms of the role that lawyers play within their organizations. And so you might at one point as an organization have been looking for a lawyer that was much more of a technician that could really just come in, maybe manage a couple of people and do a few contracts. And I think some organizations are very happy with that. Personally, that's way too limiting for our type of training. But now, certainly, I think that that is a lot less likely that you have organizations looking for people that are that narrow in terms of their scope and focus. And so we are looking for people that have that ability. They are agile. They are flexible. They're able to bring concepts in from other industries into healthcare because they're being deployed every day these days in terms of our competitors. And so you want that flexibility of thought and you want individuals that are not so set in their ways in terms of how they go about practice that there's not an opportunity really for some training. So that's what we look for. And, and you know, one of the things I always tell people is, you know, you're never going to find the perfect lawyer. I mean, just like in any other industry, we all have our weaknesses. But I have found that those that are not wed to the past and are very open and focused on where you're headed as an organization and how we can get there, they're collaborative and they truly view themselves as part of the team and they want to see the organization thrive and succeed. Those are the folks that end up working out incredibly well. And then, quite frankly, your challenge is, how do I keep them? So so I wanted to pick up a thread there. You almost read my mind in terms of just the evolution of the role. And you spoke for a minute just about the evolution of the role of lawyers generally. 
But there aren't many people, and I've done this for some time now, and there aren't many people who've been the general counsel of multiple pretty sophisticated healthcare services organizations. I would love to get your sense of, as the GC, as the person in a top spot, have you seen things shift in terms of the conversations you're brought into, the discussions that you're a part of, the things that you look to for guidance on relating to sort of that broader view? Yeah, for that, I would tell you that really more than anything else, it depends on the organization because I've been at organizations truly where you're certainly brought in on some things, but you're not, as I say, you're not the lawyer in the room for all of the big discussions. And, you know, for me, that's never worked out very well. So that usually means I'm moving. But I've always been fortunate to be able to move to other organizations. And the vast majority of the ones I've worked with, I'm in the room when we're talking about strategy and I'm in the room when we're making major decisions with regard to where the organization is heading. But certainly, if you read the literature out there, I think you're seeing that more and more lawyers are being brought into that room and being asked to participate in those types of discussions. And I think that that's wonderful, but I think that you need to be prepared as a lawyer for that type of an environment and that type of an interaction, because many times you're sitting in that room not only as a lawyer, but as a business person within the organization, as a senior leader within the organization. And so the other people in the room are not expecting you to just spout on the legalities of something, but to truly be able to process and analyze scenarios and help devise appropriate strategy for the organization moving forward. No, thank you. Building on that, one of those strategic topics that I've always heard about in the context of nonprofit systems is just the tension between the nonprofit mission, but also making your bottom line focused on being sustainable as an organization. There historically has been, my understanding, sort of more of a distinction between nonprofit systems and for-profit systems. And it feels as though sort of as the years have gone on, that distinction has sort of blurred a bit. I think you've been mostly at nonprofit systems, actually, I think mostly largely faith-based systems where mission is paramount. We've served a number of clients in that space and I know how central that is. Yet it's also important to be sustainable and make sure the organization can exist and serve patients into the future. Would love to hear just your thoughts about how executives grapple with that, how you've grappled with it in the past number of years. So I'd love to tell you that we sit up and spend hours and hours ruminating and grappling with that particular issue. I think really everybody in this space and a not-for-profit and certainly faith-based recognizes that the only way you're able to fulfill your mission is you have to find a way to be profitable and to be sustainably profitable. So you need to be making enough money that you can truly reinvest in the community. You can reinvest in your own institution. You're able to bring in the physicians that you would like to bring in to the community. You're able to buy the equipment. You're able to build the facilities that you need in order to operate your business. And so many of the organizations, well, really all of the organizations I've worked with over the years, we have been intently focused on what we mean to the communities that we operate in. But we all have recognized that we have to find ways to make money. And when we were talking a little earlier about diversification, I think that's all tied in now with what you're seeing many institutions do. Because I think as time has gone on, certainly in a number of states, the differences that might exist even from a taxing standpoint are limited between a for-profit and a not-for-profit. You know, there's some states that have you paying for essentially the equivalent of your real estate taxes through services. And so it is a business. It's a sophisticated business. It attracts incredible talent. And that talent is certainly focused on making sure that the product that's delivered to the community is the best that it can be. And with that comes a bit of a price tag because you do need to have a margin. 
sort of taking a step back, you've had just a really varied and successful career in this space. Like I said, you know, I've talked to a lot of GCs in healthcare and I've worked in the space for a bit. And, you know, there are not many folks that have had, I think, the range of experiences and the number of sort of senior level experiences at different organizations that you've had. If you were advising the folks coming up in this space, you know, healthcare lawyers, any suggestions, any tips, any things you wish should have known back then or talents or competencies that you would focus on? Yeah, you know, I think over the years, for me, you know, one of the great advantages of having worked at a number of different places is just the number of people that I've worked with, the number of CEOs I've worked with, the number of boards I've worked with. And so over a period of time, I think you learn to understand people a lot better and what their needs and wants are. And I think to be an effective GC, you know, I always say, one, you can't lose yourself. And so you can't constantly morph to whatever, you know, you think the flavor of the day is. But the other side to that is you really do have to be open to understanding the personalities and I'll say the wants and desires of the other senior leaders in the organization. And you need to find ways to deliver on that. So I've just found that what has benefited me greatly has been, one, the amount of time I spend reading about other areas, not just healthcare, but focusing on other businesses and other trends that are going on in the marketplace. I find that that helps to enrich the conversations that many times that I'm having with my other senior executives and quite frankly, with my other clients within the organization. So a couple of things, you know, one, you shouldn't lose yourself. So you need to be yourself as you're kind of working your way through broad base of knowledge and don't be afraid to show it. You know, again, you don't want to be pigeonholed and you need to be flexible. You shouldn't get to a point. I mean, I replaced a number of GCs that were incredibly effective in their organizations, but I can tell you what happened over a period of time. Over a period of time, they became the department of no. And it was because they got very accustomed to, this is how it's going to be. It's always been this way and I'm not going to change. And so I think as time went on, organizations were continuing to evolve. And I think the the thought was maybe the legal departments were not evolving along with the organization. And so I think we should all take that to heart. It really doesn't matter whether you're in a legal department or anywhere else. If you insist on staying where you're at while everybody else around you is moving forward, that can cause a problem. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. It's really interesting and uh, it's been a pleasure as always. David, thank you. I've enjoyed it as always and uh, look forward to doing this again at some point. Thanks for listening to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. To make sure you don't miss more future shaping ideas and conversations, please subscribe to our channel on the podcast app. And if you're listening via LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube, why not share this with your connections? Until next time.